Welcome back to our study of the Psalms. We are in Psalm 7 today, and Psalm 7 begins by telling us it is a Shigeon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. Now, Shigeon is a, a word we don't really know much about. It's probably some kind of uh, musical term or something like that. Um, it is a Psalm of David, we're told. Uh, and then it's connected to uh, this man called Cush, a Benjaminite. And David was apparently responding to um, this person and whatever he was doing. Now, the trouble with that is we don't know anything about Cush, uh, this Benjaminite that David is responding to. However, there does seem to be some similarity and uh, Hamilton points this out in his commentary. There does seem to be some similarity between what uh, David is addressing in this psalm and what David experienced when he was um, leaving Jerusalem, fleeing before Absalom. And there was a man named Shimei, who was of the house of Saul, uh, who was cursing David as he, as he fled. And so um, if we kind of have that in the background, and, and Shimei um, was uh, cursing David and, and was saying uh, that David was essentially a terrible person and whatnot, um, and accusing David of things that uh, he didn't do. And as we read Psalm 7, we're going to see that's the same kind of thing that David appears to be responding to here in Psalm 7. So even though we don't have a specific background like we did with Psalm 3 that told us David was fleeing from Absalom uh, and that that psalm was addressing that scenario, even though we don't know the specific scenario that David is addressing here because we don't have a story in the Bible about David and Cush, uh, it, it, does, it is helpful to think about the story of Shimei, which you can read in 2 Samuel 16 and how he was cursing David and how that helps us understand what David is uh, saying and responding to here. So here's what David says, beginning verse one. Oh Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. So <clears throat> David begins talking about God being his refuge. And this is a theme that we see uh, multiple times in the book of Psalms, that God is a refuge for us, a, a secure hiding place, as it were, one who protects us, right? So uh, he's, he's taking refuge in the Lord. He's asking God to save him, to deliver him. Uh, he talks about having pursuers, people who uh, want to tear him apart, want to destroy him, and he needs God to rescue him from these enemies. And then he says in verses 3 through 5 that, if he has really done anything wrong, that he's willing to suffer for that. So he says, oh, Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. So, uh, Probably these are things that David is being accused of by those who are pursuing him, right? That he's done evil uh, to someone who's not done any evil to him. Um, that he has um, 
you know, done what is, is wrong and unjust. And David's saying, if that's so, I'm willing to suffer the consequences of that. But as we're going to see in just a few moments, uh, David is confident he's not done those things that he's being accused of. So in verse 6 and 7, he calls upon God to prepare for judgment. He says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, uh, over it return on high. So he's, again, calling upon God to get ready for judgment. And then he says, verse 8, The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Okay, now, here's where we can have a little bit of difficulty as we read about David uh, pleading his righteousness before the Lord. Because one thing we know is the Bible makes clear that there's none righteous, none who does good, right? That we're all sinners, we're all guilty before God. So how can David say before the Lord, I am righteous, right? Judge me according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Or we might even say, oh, we know David. We know not even David is righteous. We know we wouldn't pray this about ourselves, but how can David pray this about himself? Well, here's what we uh, need to pay attention to. David is not saying that he is sinless. He's not saying that he's perfectly righteous. He's not even claiming to be righteous all the time in every area of his life. What he is claiming here is that in regard to the things he's being accused of, he is righteous. He has integrity. He is not guilty of these particular things. He's not saying there's nothing else he's guilty of. Right? He's not saying, you know, God search my life. There's nothing righteous in me at all. He's not saying that. But what he does seem to be saying is the things my enemies are accusing me of and pursuing me for and blaming me for, of those things I am innocent. In those matters, I have acted righteously. So think, for example, about the way David treated Saul when Saul was king. And I, I think, you, you, don't check me on this in 2 Samuel 16, but I, if I remember correctly, this is one of the things that Shimei accused David of was, um, was treating Saul uh, or at least his household unjustly. If you think about the way that David treated Saul. David was anointed king to take Saul's place, and yet David never struck down Saul, even though he had the opportunity and seemed to have justification. Uh, Saul tried to kill David, tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. He tried to have him, uh, you know, taken from his home and arrested. Um, he pursued David. Uh, at one point, David was hiding in a cave, and Saul didn't know it, and Saul went uh, into that cave to relieve himself, and David snuck up behind him and could have killed him. But instead, all he did was cut off a piece of Saul's cloak, and even that David felt guilty about. So David had opportunity to take the throne from Saul, to kill Saul, and he didn't. He refused. And so uh, this sounds similar, right? This kind of situation where David's saying, Look, if I'm being accused, for example, uh, I'm not saying this is 
the background to, to 2 Samuel 7. But if, for example, he was being accused of treating Saul unjustly, he could say, judge me according to my righteousness. In that regard, in that matter, I have done what I was supposed to do. All right, so uh, that seems to be what David is saying. And so then he says, verse 9, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. In other words, he calls upon God to bring an end to evil and wickedness. He wants God to establish the righteous, and he knows God can do this like nobody else can, because God tests minds and hearts. He knows not only what people have done, but what their motives are, what their thoughts are, all those kinds of things. God alone can judge with perfect justice because God alone knows everything about everyone. And then he says, verse 10, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. So he affirms that God is just, God is righteous, and God does hate sin. That's why he feels indignation all the time. Uh, and so that God is a a just judge, and he will punish sin. And there's a warning that comes with that. If we look at verse 12. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. The key phrase there is that first phrase in verse 12, if a man does not repent. We've talked before about this line between the righteous and the wicked in the Psalms. And one of the things we are reminded of in this Psalm is that the line between the righteous and the wicked is not the line between those who have sinned and those who haven't. The line is between those who have refused to repent for their sin and those who have repented of their sin. Those who refuse to repent of their sin, who persist in their rebellion against God, those are the ones whom God's judgment will fall upon. But those who have repented, who have confessed their sin to the Lord and turned to him and asked for mercy and forgiveness, those are the righteous, not because they're perfectly sinless, but because they have turned back to God, the righteous one, and asked for forgiveness from him. But David warns those who refuse to repent that God's judgment will come upon them. And then he talks about um, sin and wickedness in verse 14. He says, behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. And I, I don't think it's over reading that verse to, to realize that oftentimes sin is a, a process. We don't all of a sudden just dive off of the, the way of righteousness and godliness into some grievous sin. There's often a, a process of decline. We saw this also in the very first verse of the psalm, of the first psalm, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There seems to be a progression, or rather a, a regression, a decline, right, from walking to standing to sitting. Same here, he uses the language of conceiving and then being pregnant and then giving birth. There's a process involved uh, where... Uh, what's given birth to, right, is uh, serious and significant sin. All sin, of course, being serious and significant. But um, <clears throat> there's a sense in which we really uh, get ourselves into trouble 
a little bit at a time. One small decision followed upon one small decision to neglect the Lord, neglect his word, go against his word, dishonor him in some uh, in some sense, some smaller way that leads to bigger ways, that leads to a more settled um, position of sin or something like that. There is uh, a process there. Uh, and then he says, <clears throat> verse 15 and 16, he makes a pit digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull, his violence descends. In other words, there's a sense in which those who plot evil uh, will have that same evil come upon themselves, that the judgment that they experience, the judgment that they receive, uh, it can be a, it, in some sense, a sort of natural consequence of, uh, or a sort of um, a fitting consequence, rather, of what they themselves have plotted against others. Uh, this reminds me of, I think, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that, um, those who uh, don't believe, right? Those who reject God and end up in hell, those are the people to whom God says, your will be done, right? You get what you wanted. You wanted to be separate from God. You wanted to, uh, you know, go your own way, do your own thing. God grants that to you. And that is, in a sense, what hell is, right? You getting what you wanted and pushing God away, ignoring God and going your own way and all the, the consequences, the pain, the hardship, the suffering that comes as a result of that. Um, and then finally, verse 17, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the most high. So he ends with um, praising God uh, as the righteous one, which he's been talking about uh, throughout the psalm. So a couple quick things about how what we do with this psalm. First of all, uh, how does this psalm relate to us personally? We're not in David's exact situation. We don't even know for sure what that exact situation is. How do we uh, connect this psalm to our own lives? So first of all, uh, God is our deliverer, our refuge, just like David talks about in verse 1 and verse 2. And there are instances where, like David in verse 8, we can plead our innocence, our righteousness. Uh, there's times where we may be accused of things that we know we are innocent of. We're not claiming the innocent of everything, but we can say, God, in this instance, we've done what is right. We're not guilty of the things we are being accused of. And we can ask God to vindicate us in that way. Uh, also, like David in verse 9, it's right for us to pray for an end to evil, uh, pray for an end to wickedness. We see and hear about terrible things happening in the world. It's right to say, God, put an end to that, put a stop to that. And then uh, in verse 12 and verse 13, it's important for us to remember the significance of repentance, that we need to turn from our sin, that we need to confess our sin to the Lord. Um, we don't have to be sinless, right? God is a forgiving God, but he forgives those who repent. He forgives those who turn back to him. And then we can also read this psalm through uh, the lens of the life of Jesus, right? Jesus also was pursued by enemies who um, falsely accused him, right? He was, he was innocent. He was truly righteous. And in his case, he was righteous in every area of his life. He genuinely had no sin 
and yet he was pursued by enemies who sought to destroy him. And as David calls out uh, for God to judge and bring justice, we know that the Bible says that Jesus himself will judge and bring justice. He's the one who will be the judge at the end, to whom all people will have to give an account. He's the one who will sit on the throne and uh, separate the sheep from the goats. Uh, Jesus himself preached repentance. So David says, you know, it's important for the wicked to repent or else they will, you know, receive God's judgment. And Jesus, that was his message. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn back to the Lord uh, so that you can be forgiven and experience God's salvation. And of course, Jesus um, praised the Father, right? Just as David ends this psalm in praise to the Father. Uh, David praises the Father. So um, that's what uh, David teaches us, shows us, models us, uh, models for us there in Psalm 7. God bless.